My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Wendy Goldsmith and David Heap. At the end of 2013, Canada Post announced that it would be making massive changes and cuts. It would be raising prices significantly, and, along with slashing many jobs, it would be ending the practice of home delivery for letters and parcels, and instead retrofitting already developed communities with giant, centralized, self-serve mailboxes. Sentiment against these changes and cuts is significant in many communities, but the extent to which that disgruntlement has turned into organized opposition has varied considerably from city to city. One place which has seen considerable success in mobilizing around this issue is London, Ontario, a city of about 350,000 people in the southwest of that province that has been named as one of the early sites to be hit by the multi-year phase-in of the end-to-home delivery. A group called Londoners for Door to Door started among impacted community members and connected with Canadian Union of Postal Workers members, and it has been running a solid campaign built on a bedrock of door-to-door canvassing. This hard but effective work of knocking on doors and speaking directly to people has been augmented by community events, online presence, and social media. They've been building on existing relationships and forging new ones, and reaching into new territories and across old divisions to build some impressive momentum. Wendy Goldsmith and David Heap are residents of London and are founding members of Londoners for Door to Door. They speak with me about the cuts and changes at Canada Post and their relationship to the broader agenda of austerity, and about their campaign's origins, its choices of tactics, the community response, the considerable momentum they've managed to build, and their advice for other communities that wish to build their own local resistance. We spoke by Skype to phone from Montreal, Goldsmith was traveling at the time of the interview, and Skype from London, respectively. My name's Wendy Goldsmith. I'm a mother of three. I'm a social worker in London, Ontario. have been doing that kind of work for 20 years and involved in community organizing and international organizing for justice and peace. And I'm David Heap, and I'm a part owner of Canada Post, and so are you. So for all of your listeners, I'm also a teacher researcher at the University of Western Ontario in London, a community member, trade unionist, involved in a number of peace and human rights causes, and involved in Londoners for Door to Door. A little bit over a year ago, at the end of uh, 2013, Canada Post announced what they called a five-point plan, which included raising postal rates, making the service more expensive and less usable, less accessible to people, but also drastically phasing out over a period of a few years door-to-door delivery which more than a third of Canadians get. And if you add door-to-door delivery to apartment lobby delivery and rural post office delivery, you're up at like two-thirds or 70% of Canadians have something that's safe and convenient for them to use, either at their home or at a, you know, a warm post office or at the end of their driveway kind of thing. So it's affecting a lot of people. And I always introduce myself as from N6H. I'm one of the neighborhoods in London that was targeted for the elimination of door-to-door this year. 
So I got a postal, well, they call it a questionnaire. It's not really a survey in November. And I immediately looked at it. And as somebody who, you know, in my job, I see lots of questionnaires and surveys. And I said, this is a bogus survey. This is BS. This is not, doesn't give people real choices. So I didn't send it back to them. And in fact, very few people sent it back to them. But instead, I contacted my city councillor because, in fact, we'd just been working on the municipal elections in November. And when we canvassed my area, my then candidate who had been elected as my city councillor in November had remarked on my save door to door sign and she had actually taken one home. So we knew that we had some allies at our city council. I contacted my city council. I contacted the labor council. I also talked to my neighbors and the older people, the people with mobility issues, people with safety concerns, et cetera, in the neighborhood where I live were already concerned. I also talked to community members like Wendy and said, you know, we got to do something about this. We've got to push back. So we got in touch with the CUPW local and decided to take some action with them. From there, what's happened is the evolution of many meetings, often in people's homes over coffee and dessert, building community, talking about the issue, making sure that the postal workers who will be affected by these cuts ultimately don't feel alone in their struggle. It's connecting community with one another and really building a movement that We've now started to encourage other municipalities to join us in this struggle and to use what we've learned. We're learning as we go every time we go out for a canvas. That's the strategy that we adopted. It's been very effective. We've been going out in teams of two, ideally with a postal worker and a member of the community, and knocking on doors and handing out literature, having conversations at the door, asking residents to put up lawn signs, and asking them to give us their contact information so that we can continue to build the momentum and we think we're being pretty successful. When I contacted folks at the Labor Council, one of the Labor Council reps from CUPW said, well, why don't you come to a depot? Because there's a situation in the workplace where postal workers are very discouraged. They're being told by their management, this is inevitable. Jobs are going to be cut. Just get ready. A bunch of you, 40 people this year in London would lose their jobs at two postal depots and then more next year as it's rolled out in the rest of London. And there's a sense of inevitability. And that's probably the biggest myth we're pushing against is this sense of inevitability. You can't do anything about it. For those of us who remember the Thatcher years, this mantra of Tina, there is no alternative, is a really insidious thing to push against. So one of the first things we did, and we still continue to do, is to visit postal depots and you know workplaces where people need this message that the community cares about this service, we want to keep the service, and we want to do something about it together with them. So as Wendy says, we canvas together, postal workers and other community members, and we go to their workplaces in the morning or whenever their break is, and we talk to them briefly on their breaks, not taking up too much of their day, but just letting them know that if they come out that weekend for a canvas, we can fight this together, save some of their jobs, save services for the community that is valued by everybody in London, and quite frankly, we're hearing now by people across the country. So Labour Council is involved. The Council of Canadians in London is on board with this big time. We have community members who we've just met through the signs or through knocking on doors. I mean, there's somebody who lives on my block who I've seen for years and never spoken to who came over and said he wanted a sign. And then the next thing I knew, he was joining us for a canvas that Saturday. So it's connecting people through existing networks, you know, Council of Canadians, Labour Council. One of the NDP riding associations here is all over this issue, and the local nominee is now canvassing with us because people know that it affects our neighborhoods in a very direct way. So it's bringing together an interesting cross-section of people. And I would just add to that that I would say that it's truly a grassroots community development approach that we're using. We're building as we go. 
people are joining, as David said, for all kinds of different reasons and all bring their own skills and abilities to the table as well, which has been wonderful to try to sort that out. And I can see moving forward, once this fight is successfully won, we're going to have an even stronger group of willing and able activists that we can call on for other issues in our community. As Wendy says, all kinds of abilities. So we have, for example, seniors who aren't quite up to going door to door. They put together a phone tree so we can phone back some of the contacts we have and remind them of upcoming canvases or visiting municipal council meetings, municipal committee meetings, because we have a largely new city council in London and they're finding their way to supporting what they hear from residents about this issue, but it helps to have residents of London in the gallery at City Hall to remind them the way that the people that elected them want them to vote on these issues. Lay out for me your case against this change in how the mail gets delivered. It's part of a general program of austerity and the idea that we have to do more with less. And as a reorganization of a public service, the idea that the people who receive mail have to do the walking that's paid for by the postage staff. As one of our friends says, it's not like you get an 80% reduction because the mail doesn't quite get to its destination. You still have to pay the same stamp. You should get the same service and we should all get it to our doors. It's also a cost-cutting measure, which isn't justified at all by Canada Post's financial picture. They have posted profits every year this century, except for one. And the one year they didn't post a profit was because they put their employees out on a lockout, right? They try to massage their books and their financial statements to make it look like they're losing money. But the fact is the postal service is very profitable. In particular, the delivery of parcels is very profitable. As people buy stuff on the internet, Canada Post is one of the preferred deliverers. So there's really no economic justification for cutting door-to-door. It's a crown corporation that's successful, you know, it belongs to all of us, and it should actually be expanding service rather than cutting service back. And from a humanitarian, a human perspective, and someone who lives and works in communities and neighborhoods, we were hearing from people the shock and alarm that, you know, this valuable service was suddenly going to be cut, especially for seniors and those with mobility challenges. And we've also seen how some of these super mailboxes, how they're being managed and how difficult it is, the increase in mail theft and on and on. But for me in particular, it was really important to think about the human cost and the additional services that our letter carriers provide for us. For example, they're often the eyes and ears of the community and have you know, helped many people in distress, have reported break-ins and thefts themselves. And it's just nice to know that someone's going to come to your door if that's the only person you're going to see that day. So those were some other important reasons to get involved. And if I could add, there's another financial piece to this. I mean, not only is it not losing money federally, it's, it's profitable federally. Canada Post is posting another profit for 2014. Shifting it to people individually doing the volunteer work that should be paid for by the stamps goes along with a substantial download of costs to municipalities. A few municipalities like Hamilton and Medicine Hat have costed this out. And just the approval process is costing $500, should cost $500 or more in the municipalities that have to accommodate these SMBs, these self-serve mailboxes, because, you know, they're being forced into retrofitted into neighborhoods that were never planned for them. Unlike the 25 or 26% or so of communities which were planned with self-serve mailboxes, when they're forcing them into the other neighborhoods as they are now, it creates a whole host of problems from, as Wendy says, there's the accessibility issue for people who have trouble getting to them. But on top of that, there's parking issues, lighting safety issues. Many of the locations are poorly lit and dangerous. 
Canada Post subcontracts the snow removal to people who don't do it, and there's no recourse to that. Municipalities have found that if they have to do things like clean up litter, they can't recover the costs from Canada Post. So there's all of these costs which are downloaded onto municipalities with no compensation. It's impossible to get money out of Canada Post for any of these things, even when they put things in the wrong place, which they've done in other municipalities like Canada. It represents a burden on municipalities and a burden on municipal taxpayers. When we started, we developed a package of materials for canvassers, and in there we have a script, a suggested script that people could use at the door. And I think that's still in there as a guide, but we found this to be the easiest door knocking ever. You know, as soon as we say we're with Londoners for door to door, and did you know that your neighborhood is slated for one of these super mailboxes? And in fact, now we're focusing on the areas where we know that they are planning to place those mailboxes. But it's a real easy sell, and people basically say, where do I sign? And provide them with literature, and, and some of them want to engage in a conversation. Admittedly, it's been pretty cold, so we don't stay at the doors very long. But really, it's been a very easy sell. People have different takes on it. There are people who are concerned about the loss to the service that they enjoy. There are older people or people with mobility issues who have the accessibility concerns. Lots of people have safety concerns. The people we're talking to now are the ones whose homes are targeted with the imposition of one of these boxes on a municipal easement, which might be in what they think is their front yard. And they're eyesores, quite frankly. So the people who are concerned about issues like property value and resale value of their homes, and uh, you know that hits municipal tax rules as well. So there's a host of issues. And a big part of what we do is listening to people and saying, why does this concern you? Which parts of this concern you? And giving them a way to express that to, for example, their municipal councillors. And we hope very soon to the federal MPs in London, because we're calling for town hall meetings in the two affected depot areas in northeast and northwest London. But as Wendy says, it's the easiest campaign. I mean, I've campaigned for all kinds of things for many decades, right? But I've never been in a position where you're getting out of a vehicle and people walk up to you and say, have you got more of those signs? Can I sign your letter? In some cases, we don't even get to the doorstep. And are you running into any people who support Canada Post's position or who just don't care? Very infrequently. I would say that the biggest argument that we face is, well, my neighborhood already has one of these mailboxes and it's not so bad. That comes up occasionally, but our response is what we want is door-to-door mail delivery for everyone. We want to see Canada Post expand, not make smaller their services. So that would be the one argument that some folks make. Yeah, I think it's really important to distinguish between the neighborhoods that were planned around these and they don't have the parking and safety issues because they had an opportunity to have the planning process to make them fit in. They should be offered, as Wendy says, the option of going to -to door-to-door because, quite frankly, the Postal Service is profitable enough to pay for that too. But that's very different from the imposed retrofitted SMBs in neighborhoods where door-to-door is existing. So yeah, you do occasionally have those conversations with people who don't really care. Often, if you bring up the municipal tax issue, that's not something that people see, that this is going to be a burden on the municipal tax roll. So even people who think, oh, well, Canada Post has the right to do this, or it's okay that they're doing this, are typically shocked to realize that it's going to hit our municipal tax bill. And quite frankly, I think it caught our municipal councillors by surprise. So this is something that even people who don't necessarily care about public services care about costs to their communities, right? And for example, the mail theft side of things. Again, in communities where these are imposed in a retrofit kind of way, the experience has been in places like Surrey, BC and Thunder Bay that they're magnets for postal theft. And postal theft these days means not just your regular letter mail, it means identity theft of all of your cards, it means losing parcels that are sold by internet. And the SMBs are magnets for this. I mean, people are just hitting them with trucks and tossing them in a truck and taking them away or breaking them open and taking all this stuff. 
This has led in some places in BC to increased policing costs. And it's a fairly easy case to make, even like a fiscally small C conservative minded person at the door. Well, which uniform is more cost effective? Sending a postal worker around to deliver your mail or sending a police officer around to your door to you know, try to figure out what postal mail has been stolen from these things. Much more expensive, right? That's a kind of contrast that you can talk about, even to somebody who's not naturally inclined to talk about public services, keeping good jobs in our community, and all of these other things that come up more often. Tell me about the choice of canvassing as the core tactic for the campaign. Why did you decide that that was the way to go? Well, I think we know from experience, I mean, politicians have taught us this, that speaking to people directly is the most effective way to get information. And face-to-face communication puts a face to the campaign. It helps us become more aware of issues that we may not have thought of. So we decided that we wanted to meet the people, and it's a great way for us to get names, to build our database, and also to get some signs online so that we have a really great visual in London as well. This is a door-to-door issue, and it's something that affects people at a grassroots community level, quite literally where we live. I've lived here for 17 years in this street, but I've met my neighbors in a way around this that I never have around any other issue. I mean, my next door neighbor has never had the same political sign for any cause in all the years I've lived here. We now both have safe door-to-door signs. You're reaching a different demographic from the one that you might usually engage with. So the door-to-door aspect of it is very important. But as Wendy says, we take those contacts up to another level and we say, okay, these folks in this ward can contact their municipal councillor because that's one we think we can move. And then they can all pile on for a civic works committee or another committee of city council when we need to contact that group of city councillors and perking up to the level of uh, the, the affected area covers three federal ridings. And we know that we eventually want to focus those people's energy or attention on the two conservative members who voted to support these cuts. Actually, they stood up in parliament and applauded when the NDP motion turned back the loss of uh, door-to-door service. When the conservative majority defeated that, the Tory members were on their feet applauding the end of door-to-door service. People need to know that. And so you take it from the neighborhood level to the municipal level to the federal level. And that's where we can actually have effect on turning this around. And, you know, the canvassing has actually been a lot of fun and brought us together in community. Right from the putting the kits together at the local before we leave to canvassing together, getting to know each other, and then coming back and feeling rewarded. It's immediate gratification that you know that you're doing something good for your community. You don't even have to wait for results. And it's put together, as Wendy says, different groups of people. So we've got the seniors helping us phoning, for example. With the phone trees, there's students from the campus where I work who have a research project on the effects of door-to-door cuts on community health. They've been coming out canvassing with us sometimes as well. So there's these unexpected cross-cutting pieces from, you know, a younger demographic to some seasoned community activists, to seniors, to folks at the Legion Hall, to the Labor Council, and then, of course, the CUPW local. So it's brought together a group of people who are having a lot of fun, but also having an effect on an issue that hits their communities in a very real way. And one of the things that I've encountered when I've been in groups that have been considering using canvassing as a tactic is that a lot of us are kind of reluctant to go up and knock on a stranger's door and start talking to them about an issue. Is that a dynamic that you had to deal with when you were initially considering using this approach? That's one of the advantages of doing it with postal workers. They knock on people's doors all the time. I have no reluctance. I've been doing this for decades for all kinds of causes. But I understand that it's difficult. The point of doing it in pairs is there's an each one teach one effect. 
if people don't all know the spiel, they don't feel comfortable talking about the issues, they don't feel comfortable knocking on doors, they go with people who've done it before. And you quickly learn that it's not the end of the world. You may not be the one who speaks. You may be the one who holds the literature and the signs or takes down the information or helps people express their concerns. But everybody has a role in this. And people who really can't go out, as Wendy said, there's phoning to do. There's also database entry to do. So everybody has a role in this campaign. Everybody can get involved in one way or the other. But the door-to-door is really the fundament of it because it's the bedrock of the campaign, right? It's something that hits people at their doorstep, and we're taking the issue to their doorstep. And quite frankly, the people who are imposing this are afraid to face communities. Canada Post and conservative politicians don't want to face communities on this because they know how resoundingly unpopular it is. Your group also has an online presence, a blog, a social media presence. How do you relate the very traditional, I suppose, tactic of canvassing, going door to door, traditional, though I think it is something that movements today in North America don't really do enough of. How do you relate that kind of approach to the newer kind of online social media based work? I think they've both been very important, equally important, I would say. The canvassing gets us out meeting people face to face and meeting each other face to face. The online really serves those people as well as others who don't connect at the door who we may have missed. Facebook, love it or hate it, is a great way to get messages out. It's a great way for us to tell our stories. It's a great way for us to remind our canvassers who might be getting a little weary of spending Saturdays knocking on doors that we really are making a difference, that what we're doing is important and it's working. And I think just as an archive as well for our own material, it's really important. When I was a kid, one of the figures that I looked up to was Kay McPherson, who was one of the founders of Canadian Voice of Women for Peace. She's no longer with us, but her memoir was called When in Doubt, Do Both. And you can't do, well, you can do one without the other, but they definitely feed off each other and reinforce each other. And the communities that have come together and the people that have come together to do the canvassing stay in touch in between canvases online, and they build that. Their contacts see what they're doing. They ask about the issues. So, you, you know, there's ways of making the pitch electronically, virtually at the same time. And it spreads through other connections and other networks throughout our communities, but of course it leaps to other communities as well. So folks in Stratford, we've been up there in person, but they're also following what we do online in Ottawa and other places. The thing about virtual networks and virtual communities is they don't have the same boundaries. And we're finding, of course, that there are people from coast to coast to coast in Canada who are concerned about this issue. So it's a way of reinforcing what we do here on the doorstep, but also leveraging it in other communities and other places. Draw out for me the connection between this specific set of changes and cuts and the larger agenda of austerity. So the cuts here are a classic austerity package, and it's presented to you as an inevitable, fiscally responsible, and financially necessary, and all the rest of it, even though demonstrably by their own books, Canada Post is lying when they say this is necessary to make the postal service viable and not a burden on taxpayers. The Postal Service is not a burden on taxpayers, and with postal parcel delivery, there's no danger of it becoming a burden to taxpayers. And in fact, if Canada Post did what many other postal services in the world do, and have postal banking, Canada Post, we know, has a report, which they're doing their best to suppress, about how viable it would be for Canada to go back to postal banking, which we had until 1968, and which would use the existing network, especially of rural post offices and small rural communities, to provide a public banking service to Canadians and residents of those communities who need it and aren't being served by commercial banking, and without making gouging profits, would be viable enough that it would help pay for door-to-door delivery, including expanded door-to-door delivery. 
So this is the kind of outside of the super mailbox thinking that we could actually have a 21st century postal service, which expands services instead of strength services and is a genuine public good. The austerity thinking, on the other hand, being pushed by Harper and the conservatives more generally is downsizing public services, downsizing the idea that we have a common good that belongs to all of us, making the service as crappy as possible and as expensive as possible. I mean, everybody who buys a stamp these days is outraged by how much it costs. And then saying, oh, well, it's terrible. We have to spin it off to the private sector. And this isn't very far over the horizon for the Harpercrats. So this is one of these pushes to cut up our public sector and sell off the profitable bits and then leave the rest of us with the leftovers of, you know, the non-viable non-services. So fighting for this is fighting for that. It's fighting for quality jobs in our community. And it's fighting for a quality of life in the neighborhoods where we live. What kind of advice would you give to people in other communities in terms of getting something going where they are to challenge the proposed cuts and changes to Canada Post? First of all, we want everybody to know that we're available to speak to. We can share our experiences. We're by no means experts and we're learning as we go, but we have developed material and we certainly don't think there's a reason to reinvent the wheel. If they like what we have, it can be adapted to their community so that they feel like they've got something tangible to begin with. Connect with your local, connect with your labor council, connect with your council of Canadians, connect with anybody who you feel could be an ally and start to have conversations and have them in places that make sense for their communities. They may have a great community center where people meet. For us, it's often living rooms and local offices. And really make sure that you have a few people who are willing to weather the storm. And when people are feeling tired, you know, there's a campaign fatigue that happens. There's a wave. And it's really important to have people who, in those moments, can push a little bit harder and help people see the finish line. Those would be my suggestions. Talk to the people on your street, in your neighborhood. Talk to your CUPW local. Suggest that concerned residents can go to our workplace and talk to discouraged postal workers about turning this around together. It's really a grassroots talking to people thing that's the spark. And then you usually find that there are lots of people who are concerned about this. Some of the municipal councillors, for example, they're typically closer to the ground once they get their teeth into this issue and realize that they may not be able to stop it, but they can regulate it and slow it down and point the heat at the federal politicians who are the ones who can really change this. Lots of people can get on board in different ways, but certainly our material is available. We've already sent it to some other communities. They're adapting what seems useful to them or making up their own scripts because it's a little bit different everywhere, but there's also a lot of things in common between the struggle from coast to coast to coast. And have fun doing it. I've been to lots of rallies and people are angry and they have every right to be angry about whatever that issue is. But in this struggle, we have to remember our humanity, I think, and our connection to each other. And that's the thing that I think the conservatives don't count on because they've done a really good job of isolating themselves from community and they're trying to do that to us. And uh, if we don't let that happen, then who knows what could happen. The creativity and imagination that has been sparked already by people in our campaign has been fabulous. And that's one of the things that keeps me coming back for more. You have been listening to my interview with Wendy Goldsmith and David Heap of Londoners for Door to Door about their campaign to save Canada Post's home delivery service in London, Ontario, and across the country. To learn more about their work, go to Londoners, numeral 4, door, numeral 2, door, dot blogspot.ca. That's substituting numerals for 4 and 2, Londoners for door to door, dot blogspot.ca.
To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to make suggestions about topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link marked radio. That's talkingradical.ca. I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Sudbury, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Thanks.